So picture this, you're a mom, you have four little girls you're taking care of, and your mother starts to get ill. And you're trying to find ways to handle that while you're raising these young girls. You end up getting divorced because you're not getting the support you need or the help you need emotionally. And now you're doing it all on your own. And both your mother and father are, your mother especially is going downhill and you're looking for resources, you can't find them. You're bringing in people who end up doing all kinds of crazy things to your parents' family. Um, maybe they try to, you know, take over in the family and get into the family bank accounts, things like this. How do you handle all that while all this is going on? Anybody who is of the generation that we call the sandwich generation knows what I'm talking about. And luckily for us, Lori James, who we are speaking to next, um, has a memoir called Sandwiched, a memoir of holding on and letting go. And it's talking about this struggle. And I know a lot of you have this struggle and you are gonna be forced to reinvent yourself within it. It's not necessarily a reinvention you're asking for. As we know, reinvention is not always our choice. It's what happens sometimes, but it's real. So I wanna to bring to you the lovely Lori James she said she started out by calling this the caregiver chronicles, which I totally understand it could be. And she sees the humor in it, but she also sees the difficulty. And she wants to let all of us know that you're not alone. Everything you're going through, it's not your fault. It's what's happening to our generation. And there are ways to handle it. And as you know, at Covey Club, we have a whole section that in the Covey Club app, Covey, Covey Connect, it's called Caregivers Collective, where women come together and talk about these issues, about taking care of children who need extra care, friends who need extra care, older husbands who are starting to show signs of aging, aging parents. Where do you go with that, that need to talk and get solutions and sometimes just vent? That's what we do in the Covey Club app called Caregivers Collective, that one room there. Anyway, I'm really excited to bring to you this discussion of how do we get through this and how do we reinvent ourselves around being the sandwich generation? So here we go. So welcome, Lori. So nice to see you today. Leslie, thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited about our conversation. Yay. Well, I always love to hear women who have figured themselves out and who are ready to tell everybody about it and um, encourage others and inspire others. That's what makes me really happy. So let's start with where the heck did you grow up and what did you start out doing? So I grew up in Southern California and um, went to college in Southern California. I didn't venture very far out like other people may have and like my kids have. I always knew I wanted to be a mother. I wanted to create a family. And later on in life, I actually realized I wanted to create, I created that family because 
I thought that family was going to keep me safe. And I wanted to create the family that I did not have as a child. So when I graduated college, I, I've always been a very active person. Um, when I went to college, I was on the ski team. Um, I was not a sorority type gal. I will, uh, my parents always took us camping when we were growing up. So we, I've done a lot of hiking and camping. My parents owned a sailboat. So I grew up sailing here in Southern California out of the Redondo Beach area. So those have been all the things that I've always enjoyed doing and continue to enjoy doing. But so I moved down after I graduated college, I moved down to the South Bay area uh, in Southern California, Redondo Beach specifically. And I, you know, was having fun, making friends in the community and ended up meeting my husband the old fashioned way in a bar. They didn't have online dating back then. Uh, we dated for a couple years. We got married and we started our family fairly quickly. We ended up having four daughters together. Uh, my third pregnancy were a set of identical twin girls. So that was a pretty big shock to the system. <laughs> That's interesting I, that it came yeah. in the third pregnancy. That's yes. really interesting. Okay. So I had four girls under the age of five. So I was most days just swimming and treading water, trying to stay afloat. It's amazing how hard that is, isn't it? Motherhood, uh, no one tells you it's the hardest job you will ever have. Right. And, and also and, and, the most rewarding. Oh, absolutely. And I always joke and say, well, I know my mother didn't tell me this, that it was going to be this hard because she would have never had grandchildren, right? right. <laughs> exactly. It, it is so hard. So great. So how long were you home as a mom? So I, I actually worked up until my, until we decided to have a third child, AKA third and fourth. And I was a recruiter. I was in sales at first when I first got out of college, and then I became a recruiter and kind of moved around into different positions. Um, I started out at an employment agency. I went in-house and worked for one of my clients for several years. And then the last couple of years when I was having children, I was a, um, a contract recruiter. So I'd go in and help companies with their more difficult positions. So when we decided to have a third child, I just said, if we can't afford for me to stay home, then I shouldn't be having another, we shouldn't be having another child. And so um, my husband was very black and white. He was CPA, finance, accountant. So he kind of put the spreadsheet together, looked at it and said, okay, let's go ahead and have the third child. And thank goodness, because, you know, it ended up being third and fourth. Um, fast forward. So, you know, I, I get through those difficult years of having four kids under the age of five, fast forward till my youngest were about 10. My middle daughter was 13 and my oldest was 15 and my mother fell ill. She was showing very, very early signs of dementia but it was very, very early, just forgetting little things. And you, you could kind of see the signs coming. She was 75 at the time. 
she ended up having a heart attack. And then that catapulted me into a very different situation. I became one of the first friends, the first people in my friend group that entered into the sandwich generation. And the sandwich generation is identified as having at least one child uh, that's under 18 that you are supporting or an adult child that you are financially supporting. And you have at least one parent that's over the age of 65. So I entered very quickly into the sandwich generation and I was managing caregivers and raising four daughters. And unfortunately, at the same time, about a year into this, I also realized that my marriage was in trouble. So it took a couple more years and I, I put myself into therapy, but, but during that time, I had caregivers that I found were drinking on the job. I had found caregivers that were stealing from us. I later on, I found another caregiver who basically told me it, this was probably about six or seven years into my mom's care. Cause my mom had dementia for 12 years and I just lost her last April. But um, she told me my mom wanted to die. And I realized, I found out few weeks after that, that she had stopped giving my mom her medication, some of her medications that were keeping her alive. And it wasn't her decision to tell me or to decide when it was my mom's time to die. It was my mom's decision, right? It was her, even though she wasn't mentally there at this point, it was her, you know, her body. So after each one of these caregivers, I removed them. But this really catapulted me into a really kind of taking a look. It gave me the opportunity to really look back at my life and what had caused me to find myself in this position of this perfect trifecta of the sandwich generation of, you know, this chaos so to speak. So I put myself into therapy. I've always been one that has practiced yoga. So I stepped up my yoga practice and, and I really took that opportunity to look inward and say, okay, what, what is going on and what do I have control of over and what don't I have control over in this situation? Because we all think we have control over our lives, but I think that that's what they say. What I, what I, I did 25 years of therapy and I think mm -hmm. the end should have been the first day you walk in, the person says to you, it's all about control. You have none. And so it's just a matter of how long you have to be here to accept that. <laughs> right. I, I, that is so true. And it took me five and a half years of therapy to realize that I didn't have control so through that process, I did leave my marriage. Um, but, but before that, when I would come home from going out to take overseeing my parents' care, I would go out there every other week and manage the caregivers and rehire. And, and um, I would come home and I would tell these stories to my then husband and 
my girlfriends and they joked with me and kept saying, you have to write this stuff down because you can't make this stuff up if you tried. So I joked and, you know, I didn't do anything. I'd laugh. I'm like, I'm too busy. I can't do any of this. And I called it the caregiver chronicles, but the, this was the nudge I kept getting. I kept getting these nudges of like, oh my God, here's another situation. And so one day, well, it wasn't one day I was at a yoga retreat I was finally taking some time for myself and I went to a yoga retreat and there was a fellow yogi and writer there. And she said, just go in the room and write your, write it down. So that was the beginning of me writing my book that uh, is now available. My memoir called Sandwiched, a, a memoir of holding on and letting go. We talk a lot about the whole sandwich issue, obviously, for Covey Club. Covey's directed mm -hmm. at women 40 plus, a very successful women who are trying to balance all of this. And uh, unfortunately, all the numbers point in the direction that the girl in the family is going to hit more mm -hmm. of the burden with the caretaking than the male in the family, all kinds of stuff like that. So you're not you're, you, this didn't hit you by accident. It's all the numbers <laughs> that right, go in the right. direction that say you would be the one um, even, and, you know, having four children at the same time to take care of is, is completely crazy. Um, so what did you do besides writing it down in, in there? Are you giving a good list of how to deal or where did you find help? This is one of the big issues. And, and one of the, I hope somebody who's an entrepreneurial mind out there um, will listen carefully to this because I really do believe that there's no, there's from everybody I know I've talked to in this situation, there is no like, do you know who Matt Drudge is? The news reporter on the right who pulls <laughs> together everything about politics. No. No, I don't. But well, he collects a site and it's every link you can imagine from around the world pertaining to whatever he's interested in. Right. Mm -hmm. But no one's doing that for caregiving where right. you could put not only, you know, one site where I can go and I could live anywhere, but I can find because everything is regional. Everything is regional. Everything is based on your city all the information is all over the place. Did you find any place to go and get one-stop shopping for help? No. Yeah. It's a big problem. It, it, it is a big problem. And I thought about that through the process and of course didn't do anything about it. You really have to piecemeal it together. That's what's bad. It, it, yeah. it is bad. Um, and it would be nice if somebody did that. Because Maybe that's is, your next job. <laughs> I just it, assigned you a job. <laughs> there you go. It, it might just be. Uh, and the other issue that I found is with the actual caregivers, there isn't a lot of oversight on their background checks. I mean, I worked with a national agency at one point. And I found out later that they were not checking references and they weren't doing a background check on two of these people. I've heard this as well. And, and I've, so I've heard all kinds of terrible stories about yeah. drinking problems, drug oh, yeah. problems. All of it. And I have all of it. <laughs> yeah. So maybe talk about that and talk about um, maybe just give us an idea of one or two of the craziest stories you write about in your book <laughs> and how you resolved it. 
Well, so uh, one of the stories is I had this woman who was one of these women that I got through the agency. And I didn't realize at the time that they, the agency had not checked her references. And, you know, I probably could have been better at, my mistake was I could have been better at doing my own homework and checking her references. I didn't. I trusted that I was using a, a nationwide reputable agency. So I didn't check references. I brought her and I interviewed her on the phone. I brought her in and she basically within two weeks embedded herself into my parents' house. And unfortunately, my dad allowed it because this woman was very suggestive. She was emotionally, the bottom line is she was emotionally seducing my dad and my my dad fell for it, of course. Because here he is watching his wife, you know, wither away with dementia. And so this woman is showing him attention. And so, and then I found out that she was stealing from us. Um, She was just slowly asking him for cash. Oh, can I have $40 to go buy some food for dinner? Blah, blah, blah. She ended up taking my parents on a vacation to the Grand Canyon without telling me. Oh my Lord, this is incredible. Yeah. Oh my God. So needless to say, I'm online checking my credit, my parents' credit card bills because I manage all of their money. And I realized that there's a charge for Williams, Arizona. I'm like, where is either somebody stole the credit card or, you know, something is up. And we had talked about, you know, I had talked to her about talking about going. I said, you know, next time I come out, let's talk about it. Well, she didn't do that. She just took it upon herself to take her. So, of course, I, you know, called her immediately and said, where are you? But even after that, it took me a couple months to remove her because she was so embedded in our lives. I mean, my dad let her move, you know, boxes of clothes and boxes of her belongings and an extra car that was in the driveway. So it took me a while to remove her from the house. Um, but yeah. Wow. And, but, and I would not have thought, I would have thought these agencies would be doing the, the background checks as well. Yeah. What what the hell are you paying an agency for? Exactly. Just go out on Craigslist, right? Right. There actually is a really wonderful, online service called care.com that I ended up starting to use after that. Okay. And you just have to do your own homework and check the references. And being a recruiter from my past, that actually ended up giving me, after having a couple of these experiences, gave me the comfort and just using my own best judgment in Mm -hmm. hiring the person and just having the control of letting them go, you know, if they like giving them a trial period trying them out and then letting them go when it doesn't work out. But these, this is the other problem, Leslie, is these people, they're not, they're making minimum wage going through the agency. It's maybe slightly more. Yes. Right. And so I found in terms of hiring people, and I have two wonderful caregivers. One caregiver has now been with me for six years and I love her. I take very good care of her. I, you know, thank her every time I'm out there visiting my dad, uh, both of them, both of my caregivers. But um, 
I would rather pay them direct and give them more than pay the agency. So that's what that place that I ended up getting to. I want the money to go directly to them. How did you find the good caregivers? How did you trial and error? You know, it's like did you put your an ad in, or did you? Well, at care dot com. Oh, oh, so they don't don't stay on as the agency care dot com. They just no care dot com is an is an online service. So people, so caregivers can actually put their availability online. Um, so, you know, anybody who's available can put their resume and their experience online. And then as an employer, I can go on and put my job posting. And then you just, it's just like hiring an employee. You just go through that whole process. So this is care.com is what you're saying. Yes. Okay. Okay. I got it. So then do they take, how do they make their money? Do they take a percentage of the They charge. They charge me for po- to post an ad. Ah, they charge you. Okay, I get it. And I think there might be a small fee for the for the candidates, but I'm not 100% sure. And then they also offer other services. So you can run your payroll through them. You can, you know, there's, there's different services. They'll do background checks. You can pay them to do a background check. So there's other ways that they also bring in income. So how did this um, eventually um, end up for with your parents? So, um, so my so I ended up finding two great caregivers. Again, I it took me about six or seven years to cycle through, and and sometimes they'd last four months. Sometimes they'd last a year. Sometimes they'd even last two years. Um, and so my mom ended up losing her battle with dementia in April during COVID. And my dad is 92 and he's still alive. But going through this process, um, as I, when I started to write about my caregiver chronicles, I realized that this story was bigger and it was about the sandwich generation, which is how I ended up coming to, to write my book. Um, and the other through threads through it were through this chaos, through this, I took this as an opportunity to go back and heal some, some childhood trauma that I had that I felt might have been contributing to people testing my trust throughout this period of time both my caregivers, both my husband at the time. So I took it as an opportunity to look within instead of playing the victim and saying, you know, why is this happening to me? Woe is me. Everybody's out to get me. I mean, trust me, I did have my moments of pity party. We all need those. (laughs) Well, that's an exceptionally, it's an exceptionally traumatic and difficult situation um, that nobody wants to be in. And unfortunately our parents' generation was not prepared. I mean, I think we're going to be better prepared. Do you feel that? Because we don't want to do that to our kids. I mean, well, yes. And we've experienced it. I mean, we're really the first generation that is having to deal with this. Right. Right. Because my grandparents, I don't know about your grandparents, Leslie, but my grandparents, they had a heart attack and died. One had a stroke and died. So our parents' generation is the first generation where their lives are being prolonged. Correct. And so they're experiencing these diseases 
um, so that they're living with. So yes, I mean, I've put things in my will and trust of very specific of, you know, if, if I'm incontinence and I don't know your name and this is the fourth infection I've had, don't treat me for it. Let it take me. Like you can be, oh, wow. you, went that you can specific. be, wow. you can be that specific in it, whether, well, my kids actually, you know, be able to right. pull the trigger on that. I don't know, uh-huh. but I can't imagine my mom was very active. She hiked Mount Whitney at 55. She was, mm-hmm. she started a preschool at her church. She was just this very active, vibrant woman and loved to travel. I just can't imagine she really wanted to spend her last, you know, eight to 10 years of her life in that state. No, I, that's what I fear actually. Yeah. Is because I'm so independent and I'm used to, you know, getting myself around and I can't even imagine not being able to do that. Yeah. Exactly. So what else, what else is um, there that, what was the, the sort of thinking of the book other than recording your um crazy experience. What were you hoping that readers would get out of it? I think what I really want readers to get out of it is if they can see a piece of themselves in my journey, whether it's from a a standpoint of being a mother, a caregiver. Um, I I did end up divorcing my, my husband after 26 years, a divorcee. And, and I stayed home to raise my kids for t- over 20 years. You can't, if you want to, you can reinvent yourself. I didn't know at the time when I was writing my book that, you know, where it was going to go. I just felt this need to, to put a voice to my experience. So if it's just taking one step at a time taking one step at a time and listening to those little nudges, those little voices in your head saying, you know, yeah, this, this keeps showing up in your life. There's a reason for it. You know, those little voices, those little nudges, there is something there. Follow that, follow that breadcrumb. (laughs) It's going to lead you to something. And I couldn't be happier with where my life is today. I'm doing some life coaching, I'm launching my book, and I'm loving my life. So you can find find more happiness and joy in your life. You just have to start taking small baby steps towards those interests, desires that show up in your life. So if someone who's listening is like you right now, they're home with four kids and saying, oh my God, I'm being crushed by both of these things that are happening. What would you say is the first and second and third step to doing what you did in terms of reinventing yourself and your life? I would say first, be patient with yourself. If you're in the muck, if you're in that dark forest, Uh, of chaos. Just be patient with yourself and listen. You know, I believe that there are lessons for us to learn. Things happen to us for a reason and, and we're supposed to learn from those experiences. 
those lessons don't always come right away. Sometimes they take six months, a year for them to show up, but keep asking yourself, what am I supposed to learn from this experience? And, and listen to that and then take steps towards being a little bit stronger in those areas. Listen to the nudges that are happening and move towards what interests you. I mean, it took me several years. I tried many different avenues until I found what I realized was my path. And so sometimes it's, I guess, so the next second point is sometimes it takes, you have to go down different roads to really find, and, and it doesn't mean that you're failing. It just means you're learning what isn't right for you. So you keep trying. And the third thing is I would say try, well, I would say if they're in the muck, find time for self-care. I believe that self-care, finding time to for reflect self-reflection, however you do that, whether that's walking or meditating or yoga or going out in nature, find that time to reflect because that's where our growth happens. And that's where you're going to find the answers to what your next step is. And is that what you do? What is your self-care routine now? My self-care is I walk my dog twice a day. So we adopted her at the, my daughters were coming home from college. And so we adopted her at the beginning of yoga. Uh, Sorry, the beginning of COVID. I also do yoga. I practice yoga. Um, I do meditate daily. And sometimes it's only five or 10 minutes. Sometimes it's a half an hour. So, um, and those are the things that work for me. And I write, I mean, writing has actually been extremely cathartic, extremely healing for me. And I didn't realize how cathartic and healing it was until after my book was finished. Did you start out by journaling only? Were you a writer in any way? You know, I really wasn't. I wasn't a writer, but uh, when I decided to write my book, that's when I started journaling and I put together, um, you know, I took courses. I didn't just do this all on my own. I started taking courses at UCLA Extension and then found a program out of the Bay Area that, um, and then eventually found a writing coach that I worked with. But, um, you know, so through that process, they have techniques that they they help you with, you know, putting together a timeline of the different situations that were happening, you know, the caregiver timeline, my personal timeline. So that really helped. And then through that, I would just make an effort to write every day. Sometimes I would only get 10 minutes in. Sometimes I would only get a half a paragraph in. Some days I got a couple pages in. So that became a very cathartic routine for me. And I would do that early in the morning when it was still very quiet. Awesome. Lori, thank you so much. And your book is called Sandwiched, A Memoir of Holding On and Letting Go. And is that uh, everywhere? Can I find it on Amazon? You can find it on Amazon. Um, I would, you know, love for you to support your local bookstores. You can find it in a local bookstore. Uh, But yes, it is available now. Great. Awesome. Lori, thank you so much and uh, good luck going forward. 
Thank you, Leslie. It's been a pleasure. I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Lori James about a really important concept that we take very seriously at Cubby Club, which is caregiving. And how do we manage this in our regular lives without going crazy ourselves? How do we find the right help? How do we get help from our family? How do we get help from our siblings? It's a really important question. If you're interested in more information about reinvention or about specifically caregiving, go over to the cubbyclub.com website and just enter those words into our search bar and you're gonna find tons and tons of information, articles, essays, everything that can help you out with this stage of life. You can also check out the Covey Club app, which has a room called Caregivers Collective in there, where women come to speak frankly and openly. Luckily, the app is totally private. It's not like a Facebook page. The whole point is we keep it within the club. Nobody else sees it. Nobody tries to sell you ads. It's all private, but you can at least come talk about your issues and hopefully find like-minded people who are dealing with the same thing. If you're just looking for help on reinvention in general, I have a wonderful download that I'm really excited about to share. It's called 31 Badass Reinvention Ideas. And you can get it by going to the site and pulling down the connect part of the nav bar and you will see it in there. It's a great download. It's about 31 things that I've gotten to learn over the last 10 years about reinventing yourself. And it's kind of a starter primer to get you going so that you don't have to feel like you're doing this all on your own. And remember that whether your reinvention, your reinvention is big or small, it's your reinvention. You get to decide what it is and how long you're going to do it and how far you want it to take you. And then remember my Cubby Club mantra, which is always, it ain't over till you say it's over. You get to decide when you're done and when you want to move on. Nobody else gets to tell you that. So anyway, I hope you enjoyed this. If you did, please subscribe and give us some stars, give us a review, follow us, and pass this podcast along to anybody else you know who might need some help with reinvention. Thanks a lot and see you next time.